Hi, and welcome to the fourth episode of Game Loop. I'm Joe. And I'm Dan. This is a podcast about making games by friends who sometimes finish what they set out to do. We chat about programming, game design, and we break down the games we're playing and building. I really feel like I should know that by now, but I'll <laughs> have to be <laughs> done. It's fine. Stay on the script. <laughs> I'm just so nervous all the time when I, when I say the first bit. <laughs> it's like the opening, it means so much. The rest of the podcast we can, we can wing, but the opening... <laughs> Well, I think I think we nailed it that time. Yeah, that's good. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, already. Yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> doing pretty well. Um, I've been doing a lot of uh, C this week. Last week, I said I feel like I'd be comfortable sitting down in a low-level language with OpenGL and making something, and I decided to see if that works out, and uh, it has been. I've been making. I mean, I've been learning a lot more about talking to the graphics card than I ever have. It's it's very interesting. I'm having a lot of fun. It's really good. Also, C++ is is interesting choice <laughs> because none of its none of its constructs seem to help you with the kinds of programming that you need to do to to push things to the graphics card. And it's uh yeah. I I guess I can talk about that in a different in a different podcast, but uh yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I guess we kind of come from an interesting place in the game development world in that if you think about your average game developer, if they are a Unity person, and that's got to be fairly close to average game developer, right? Yeah. Their background is going to be C Sharp. Yeah. Um, or if they're lower level, their background is going to be C++. Mm-hmm. So like those probably are the most to use languages for game development, I would I would guess. Yeah, even Maybe. if you're doing Unreal, that's um, still C++, right? So yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I feel like we're vastly underqualified to that is, that talk is, about that in the way that most programmers who make games with those things would talk about those languages. That is true, but I still think there's value in like uh, feeling out how, like, like just just talking about how it feels as you're learning it. I think there's a lot that you can bring to the table is coming coming from a different place to a new place. Like talking about programming for any other paradigm, there's a lot of tools that help you do the things you need to do. And you come into graphics on it with a low level language and you expect it to be to help you a little bit with with the way you want to lay out your data in memory in order for it to be pushed to the graphics card. But the language seems to want to do other things. And it's and yeah, I just I just think it might be that I don't know C well enough. Um, I'm currently reading like just reading about it as I go and as I'm doing it. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I I definitely think there is something in that hearing from someone who is like going through the motions at the beginning of yeah. some learning exercise. I think it's often cool when people write tutorials after they have immediately learned something. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's like. I think what that does is it helps you as the learner understand what it's like to be the learner. That person can relate to someone learning it for the first time in a way that someone who would consider themselves an expert and overqualified to write tutorials. Yeah. They're so far away from that experience of understanding it in the first place. Yeah. That it's difficult to translate ideas back to those people. Mm. Yeah, that's why it's Um, difficult to teach, right? You just need... Yeah. That's a skill in itself. Being able to find someone's baseline of understanding and build from there is very difficult. But yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, what have you been, you been working on anything recently? Or I spent the beginning of the week, I, I was chatting to one of the guys I used to work with, um, and he was building, um, he was, I think he was setting off building an NES emulator in Rust. Okay. Um, and as a getting his toes wet project, he was building a Chip 8 emulator. And I don't think I'd come across Chip 8 before. I might have done. I might have just forgotten it. But um, I had a look at Chip 8, and it's just tiny instruction set, some uh, instructions for drawing sprites to a display, a tiny number of registers, and uh, basically tiny CPU architecture that's quite fun to write. So I thought I would do a Chip 8 emulator, um, and we had, I think over the weekend, that I had a long discussion with another friend about how you get Lua running on the web for Pico 8. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I thought it's been ages since I've done a project all in Lua, so I'll pick up Lua again for this Chip 8 emulator. So programmed that out and had a dive into the a set of OpenGL bindings from Lua, which was a interesting experience <laughs> it all worked out in the end but it took longer to get there than i was expecting yeah um i find the higher level language binding so for gl can be a bit funny because you can't necessarily trust suddenly the open gl docs because they're kind of abstracted in the bindings yeah. because you can't suddenly you can't map memory properly so it's like oh I'll just yeah. do this <laughs> yeah and, and that's exactly what i found with that that the most of the OpenGL interface from C was exposed directly through Lua. Oh, okay. But All right. there were bits and bobs of it that had, like there was a wrapper file that patched some of the the normal methods, added a few bits, that it was just like a guessing game of like, uh, is that going oh, to is oh, that, nice. that be a constant that I can find somewhere or is that a string? Uh, like, uh, no idea, <laughs> yeah. let me just try. Does does that set um, the view? Is that calling viewport or is that like, what's this doing? Like, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that, um, but it ended up rendering fine in the end. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, it was a fun project. That sounds pretty fun. But outside of that, not a whole lot else. Yeah. Well, sounds pretty relaxing, at least. <laughs> yep. Yep. Certainly was. Yep. I've been playing a ridiculous amount of Maud Hell this week as well. That's slightly gone out of hand. Have you uh, caught up with the with the uh, slow rise of the the general community skill level in that game? Because I feel like if um, I suddenly went into that game, I'd just be crushed. Even though I played it a little bit at the start, I reckon the skill level of the general player base is so high that even if I went into like the absolute F team tier, I'd just be crushed. <laughs> So the whole player base is an interesting place at the moment, really. The good players have gotten very, very good. So <laughs> no, ma no matter where you are, like in your server, there will be someone who can just play with you. Uh, oh, okay. like, you haven't got a chance at getting... I mean, play with you in the bad sense. Oh, right. I see. <laughs> <laughs> like toy with you is yeah. a better expression. Um, however, the game is on sale all month on Steam, so there's oh. a massive influx of new players um, who, to be honest, it's just like <laughs> it's just like throwing a handful of dog toys into a room full of dogs that haven't eaten for months. <laughs> but it's very entertaining. <laughs> 
Oh god. Um, so that's that's mod how at the moment. It's good fun. I might reinstall it and be a dog toy for a few hours. To see how that feels. <laughs> they 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 spent. They they've done an amazing job. I reckon the the devs. It's a really small team. It's their very first game. Um, they're remote around Europe, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've like they've finished the game, released it, but they've also built a whole load of maps this year. New weapons, new items and whatnot. Um, new game modes. So mm-hmm. hats off to that team. The Mordhau team. Yeah. 14 people, I think. Pretty crazy. Wow. Never built never built a game before. That's insane. Oh, they, just 14. They, uh, um, they played chivalry competitively <laughs> and they had a good idea of all of the things they wanted to fix about chivalry. I think there were some programmers in that group and they learned Unreal Engine and started building their own. I think it might even have been a mod for something else originally. Right. And then they got the mod to a point where they're like, you know what, we could actually just make this into a whole new game and fix all of the problems of chivalry. So That's insane. So they decided to say they they wanted to fix chivalry so bad they yeah. they quit their jobs. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Oh wow, that's that's determination. I hope uh, one day I hate a game so much that I want to quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> quit your job and fix it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> that's determination. So we were going to talk about we had a list of things we were going to talk about this episode, and uh, it's sort of around game art and making game art. And where it fits into the sort of single dev developing small game uh, project. Um, yep. And a sort of, I guess, we wanted to sort of not talk about programming as much this episode. So, um, but, and, and we're both, we, we both sort of, uh, you're, you're a lot more confident than me in making like pixel art at least, but I, we're both comfortable making art for our own games. Um, and I'm currently making a solitaire card game. Um, well, it's based on Solitaire. It's based on a Solitaire King called Tower of Babel, where you have to move a card up the tower if it matches in suit or in value the card one space above it or three spaces above it. And I thought that was a really cool idea, and that could have been built on a lot. And I'm making this like game where you the idea is like you're playing that game basically, but you're you, you but but it's not playing cards. It's like tarot cards, and you're summoning demons. Um, and I think that. The, the the theme of it is very important to me, and I'm spending a lot of time like making sprites in art right at the beginning, even though there's very little gameplay at the moment by like sort of by like moving cards on top of each other. But um, yeah, I think almost it's a way of me sort of making sure that I don't burn out on it. If if I feel like mm. programming is getting getting to me a little bit and I want to stop, I'll just go and make like I'll just go and make some sprites or I'll go make some game art or something to like switch my switch my thinking around and like think about the game in a different way i don't know about you but that that helps me a lot yeah 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 for sure i uh i think i have to reevaluate slightly the thing i said a couple episodes ago about being 80 percent programming 20 percent game dev as my balance of what i enjoyed the most because i think programming there i was using as a bigger bucket just to mean making really um <laughs> 
like just the process of creation, mm -hmm. like re regardless of end product. The craftsmanship. Um, because, yeah, a big part of why I enjoyed making games is because I get to combine programming, which is something I enjoy, doing art, which is something I enjoy, and very occasionally when I get far enough, making music, which is something I enjoy. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like the idea that uh, you can you can put all of those three things together yeah. and make a whole. Um, so, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'll swap that comparison around from a couple of episodes ago and yeah, <laughs> make it make it a bit more general because, yeah, a lot. I, I think most of the time I spend making games is programming, but I love that step of doing the art. Yeah. As long as there's no animation. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> making the same sprite over and over again with tiny changes yeah oh god yeah, yeah. not so good at that i'm glad but... you brought up sound though because i i very much enjoy making sound effects i need the mic i'm recording on right now i actually bought for um for making uh for making like foley effects and i made a game called for ld jam one year called i can't remember what it what the theme was but i called the game you and your porch and the idea was he had to Keep away the mosquitoes, pour yourself tea, and pour yourself tea and increase your happiness. Um, and there were lots of sound effects in that game. Like, I had like a rustling of a box when you got the, the little mosquito burner out of the box, and like a little sizzling effect when you when you lit it, and then there were little fly sounds, and also there was like a, a light switch sound when you turn the lights on and off. And like, oh, my favourite bit was like, I, I, like I, you, you, you had to, you drank tea in that game to increase your happiness. So I recorded myself like slurping tea and making a little happy sound afterwards. Um, I remember <laughs> watching someone review that game on YouTube. Someone who does <laughs> Ludum Dare, um, game reviews, and her trying to figure out the, the how you play the game, and then every single time clicking the teacup, hearing you go, ah. <laughs> being this really surreal experience <laughs> i'm really glad so i had no idea that that i'd get yeah that was a very surreal experience actually just having someone make a play a let's play of my game it's complete <laughs> random and watching her face and me her being so confused just what is going on and then she finally won and she didn't even really understand why and she <laughs> And it's not her fault. I mean, I didn't. I just. It was just you know, a game I made in the weekend that didn't didn't communicate really well enough to play what they had to do. I like. I like to think of that as it's just very public playtesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I'll, I'll share the link to that YouTube video in the in the episode notes um, if anyone's interested, and then the link to the game as well. Talk about links to games. I recently uh, there's a there's a service I use called Surge. Um, for sharing like projects, web projects, it's very easy. You like type in Surge, and I think you, I think you told me about this. Uh, you, you type in Good Surge, well and then yeah, it pushes the static project up to a random URL, and then you can just access it there. And it turns out that none, of, I've never ever deleted anything from there. And I just found out that you can go Surge list, and it <laughs> lists the URLs. And I was going through them one by one, and just going through all my little like old games and reminiscing. It was very fun. There's a lot of stuff on there that I forgot I made. Oh, hello. Hello. Oh, you're still there. <laughs> yeah. yeah what happened? It's been 
crackling out slightly, and then I seem to lost you all together. Oh, right, okay, fair enough. But, but I'm back now, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. Cool. Yeah, I was I was saying yeah. uh, there's surge and surge list, and there's a lot of stuff on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've used surge for... I used Surge for years and years and years for pretty much anything I was working on, whether it was like work stuff and I just needed to show someone quickly or um, personal projects or games, super handy. Yeah. But for the last, I don't know, last two or three years, we've just been using Netlify. Um, oh, okay. Which the, the only issue with Netlify compared to Surge is you kind of need a repository for Netlify to, to be smooth. You oh, kind right. of load a zip straight into Netlify's UI, but... You sort of lose the point when you could just run surge in your project and yeah you're done um but then i've been bitten by the double-edged sword of they're on surge but not on github so if they if yeah. uh, surge take down my projects because i waited too long or something then i've lost them forever <laughs> but uh yeah yeah so it's pretty cool that they're all up there still running yeah that's what i thought i was like i was amazed um but yeah i was god sorry come on uh, no, I was wondering where to go. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to talk about talking about like art and and why I think it's important, even at the early stage. I was going to bring up Darkest Dungeon um, mm. because that is a game I feel that wouldn't that has a very specific theme, and I'm not sure it would work without it. Like it's it's a fun game anyway, but I think part of playing that game is the experience. Of having mm. of of having the of of the art style of the sound effects of the narrator, like and all of the little um, all, all of the little uh, parts of the the art that make that game what it is. I think, yeah, I I it's it's difficult at the start of a project to to sort of balance programming and and art, especially if you're not sure what the game's going to be because you're worried that you're going to put like too much effort into art and then you're not going to end up with anything on the programming side or you just put put in too much effort in an area that isn't pushing the game design forward and you feel like oh you know you've um you you're wasting your time but I often feel like I think it's something I said before like that you can kind of hack your brain into into working on something more if it looks if it looks nicer mm-hmm. and you don't burn out as as, uh, as quickly um yeah 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 i think darkest dungeon is a is a indie masterpiece like especially in this episode talking about art and music and whatnot and sound yeah that like darkest dungeons art is just i mean it's it's not it's not groundbreaking in its style or anything yeah it's it's not mind-blowing but it's just incredibly high quality yeah um the animations are great they built their own engine as well. Darkest Dungeon is um, not a big engine game. They went from, I'm not 100% sure what level, probably SDL, but they went from relative scratch. Oh, wow. Um, and then the voice acting in Darkest Dungeon, I think the narrator character is one of my favourite voice acted roles in a game oh. I can think of. <laughs> By far. Such a, By far. Such a, a distinct voice yeah. and the writing for his speech is just flawless yeah um i don't necessarily think i've ever played a game where i learned more new words yeah. than darkest dungeon um new, like you more new words for 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 horrifying yeah. yeah so many of his sentences i'm like oh what does that mean yeah, what is that? yeah. and it's just so poetic there's, there's another game that does that um and it's called 
Oh, I can't remember. I have it on Steam. I'll look and I'll put it in the episode notes. But you each play... It's like multiplayer split screen, local. And you each play... One one person plays the dungeoneer, like the guy's going through the dungeon, and the other people play monsters. And there's a there's there's for the trailer there is that kind of narration happening. And I think because of that trailer, I yeah, I bought the game <laughs> simply because I love the narration. I was like, if they put this much effort into the in, into the narration of the trailer, and if it's like if it's this theme, I just I just love that. Like, uh, what is it called? The tentacles and the. Uh, the sort of like old steampunky world. Um, there's a there's an author. Of course. Oh, H.G. Uh, uh, Wells. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, the yeah, Lovecraft. War of the yeah. Worlds. Yeah. I love that uh, Lovecraftian theme. Lovecraftian. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's <laughs> it's just, and Darkest Dungeon is definitely that, and so is this other game. It just fits so well, and that's why I think that's what I'm targeting in this. Uh, in this, in my current game as well, sort of a Lovecraftian, dark mage kind of feel. Um, hopefully, I'll have something to show uh, soon enough, and I'll put a video or something up. And uh, sounds good. Yeah, I'm very sounds much enjoying good. it. But yeah, um, it's interesting. Yeah, thinking about darkest dungeons art style and just different art styles. I think indie games particularly is interesting to look at because. Um, there's a huge world within 2D. I and mean, 3D is definitely still art, but it's art in quite a different sense. That like modeling in 3D is such a different process to painting in 2D. Yeah. Um, you have a whole new set of problems, and I, I it's definitely not true that people who make 3D games never go for the artistic slant on the graphics, but it happens less often than in indie games where the artistic slant generally isn't too expensive as an option. Yeah. Uh, you, you do get games where they put a ton of time into like beautiful rendering. Um, but very rarely does it look very artsy in 3D. Whereas quite often you see it in an indie game where there's a very clear stylistic choice in 2D that makes that gives the game an aesthetic that is quite obviously arty, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that might be, like, that's probably a risk thing for bigger studios mm. as well. Like, they don't want to yeah. go too far down the, the, the like, the to an extreme of an art direction because they're worried that they, because they're probably targeting a wider audience. Whereas as an indie, you can just, you what, what you want to do is focus on as narrow audience as possible because you don't have the time or the resources. So you can go in, like, extreme weird ways and it works out. Um, I'm trying to think what of, of like AAA games that had like a really different aesthetic. Do you ever see that? Was it Paper Prince of Persia game? Paper Prince of Persia for, game. Like like maybe early Switch or something. Um, it like it had a papery aesthetic. Um, uh, I can think of um a game. For the P for the Fiat for the Vita for the PS Vita that was like Paper Worlds where where everything was made out of paper, and it, the PS Vita had a touch screen on the back of the console, so you could put your fingers on the back of the console, and it would um and it would look like in the game you were poking your hand through the paper bottom of the game world, and I thought that was pretty cool. But that's probably not your what you were talking about. 
I, I, to be honest, I just Googled it and I'm not really sure what I was talking about either. <laughs> I, I, I remember seeing a, a game where the rendering style was... Oh, was it Paper Mario? Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Oh, maybe. Um, maybe, maybe it's Paper Mario. There's definitely a Paper Mario game. That, that exists, but that's also not what I have in my mind. So oh, okay. I, Fair enough. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll find it and can share it next week. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's. Do you ever make uh, um, music for your games? Do you ever make like soundtracks? Like not 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 just solely of like walking around and like voice, but do you do you ever like sit down and write like a score? Yeah, for sure. Just. Very rarely. Yeah. Basically, it's so rare that I get a game to the point where I'm thinking about doing that kind of yeah. polish and um, pizzazz. But quite <laughs> often I will start that bit. I'll decide, okay, I'm going to have a break from programming and I'll start writing the score. Uh, and kind of like I have with making games, I often get started and have a load of ideas and start getting stuff composed and tracked up and then just go, uh, I, I can't quite, this isn't quite going the direction I wanted it to and then it gets paused there. Yeah. And and I've got tons of music, games and otherwise, there's all in that early stage. There's something mm-hmm. there, but it's not finished. Um, yeah. Have you ever uh, tried uh, voice acting? No, because I, I did that. I uh, so I had there's a game I was working on uh, called Control. It's kind of ongoing because there's is, I I'm sort of creating levels every now and again, and adding bits. Um, because the game is there, it just needs fleshing out. It's on itch. I'll share I'll share a link in the in the episode description. Um, and the I, the first idea I had with that was to do some voice acting for it because the because you're going around collecting logs and audio logs. Um. And I thought, I thought, and I did some voice acting before for a little drone game where there was a guy in a speaker, and he would go, he would crack it on the radio and go like, "You're ready to fire," and then you click, you click the button. But it was so processed, you couldn't tell it was me. It just sounded like a generic guy through the radio, so it didn't really matter. But I tried writing some lines to myself and speaking them into a microphone, and boy, I did not appreciate how much skill that it took to just do voice acting. It's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds obvious, right? There are professional actors, but there's, there's, yeah, <laughs> there's definitely, I definitely uh, was lacking in, in that department. Um, yeah, I think this podcast has been kind of useful for me just in terms of getting used to the sound of my own voice, because when I sat down and listened to the first episode of this, it was horrible. I, I just <laughs> was like, oh, yeah. It's not a nice voice. Um, and I, I think you just have to hear your own voice more often yeah. to get past that stage. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, that I think, yeah, now I can listen to our podcasts, so listen to bits of them when we're editing and, and not just have permanent cringe face on. Um, <laughs> so yeah. maybe, maybe in a year or two, I would be able to hear my own voice in a game without feeling like... <laughs> yeah, it was disgusting, but probably not right now. Yeah, I uh, I listened to it back, um, one when we're editing and, two, and uh, like twice. So when when while we're editing it, and then afterwards when we publish it, and 
I yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't. I think I got past that quite quickly, like hearing the sound of my own voice, because it doesn't really. I don't. It doesn't sound like me. <laughs> so, like it doesn't sound like my internal representation of my voices. Um, and then I was listening. I was listening to it like artists. I wanted to listen to it. My my girlfriend was making fun of me. It's like, what do you like the sound of your own voice? <laughs> it's like no, I just, I just, I just want to make sure it's okay. I just want to make sure the recording's okay. But yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely not a voice actor though. Oh my god, that was yeah, that's tough. Especially, especially <laughs> yeah. when you're trying to play a character. Like I was, <laughs> I was trying to like a grizzled old captain, and I am not a grizzled old space captain. <laughs> that's that is definitely not me. Like I do not inspire confidence. Well. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. I don't know what it takes to to sound like that, but it more more than more than what I have in my voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same actually because if we were both great voice actors, I'm sure this podcast could be spiced up in considerably just by <laughs> throwing in different voices all the time. <laughs> <laughs> or it, it might be incredibly awkward. We just were terrible voice actors, but we're just too confident. <laughs> just. Oh, the amount of cringe, you know, that'd be bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, do you? Um... Oh man, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what about art outside of games? Art outside of games. I enjoy drawing. I did a drawing course a couple of um, a couple of months ago, the last last year, I guess it was now. Um, there's a, there's an online there's an online course called uh, the Art Tutor, and you can pay like fifteen pounds, and it's like one one five, and you get and you get, and you get access to all of their courses, and they do one drawing drawing for beginners, like from from nothing, so like you know just this is what pencil you need to like drawing portraits and stuff, and uh, that mm. I was surprised at how much technique there is involved in just getting over the initial hurdle of being able to draw what you see. I always thought yeah. it would just take me years to be able to draw anything that's in front of me, but actually like there's a lot of technique to how to measure, how to look at things properly in order to get them, in order to project them onto like a 2D surface. Um, yeah, but that I enjoyed that very much. And then I'm doing, I think you recommended this uh, uh, pixel art Udemy course to me, and I'm also enjoying that. That's quite fun. What about you? Yeah, so my my mum's side of the family is very artistic, um, and I think art was always a thing in my house growing up, like painting and um, drawing and even stuff like sewing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then just, I think because of that, art was something I did all the way through school until my A levels. And I, I really enjoyed art as a medium. I really enjoy, especially technical drawing. Um, and like highly detailed drawings. Um, and yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it all the way through school. And then as I did GCSE art, it, GCSE art basically sucked all of the fun out of doing art oh, no. uh, for me. Uh, so it's like every single time you sit down to like, I think you can look at art as like, there's one aspect of it is this medium for expression. And another aspect is a medium for analysis and technicality right and and that's the like shift that gcse art went through and then everything became very dry uh it was 
kind of really uninteresting to you had to do a sketchbook that you went for half a year around a single theme oh um and it's like oh, oh god, god i just Can you just yeah do not and, and you had things like you had like easter holidays for two weeks and there was an expectation that you would do 14 pages in your sketchbook over that time all around and that one went theme. Uh, and that went like just such a opposite direction to how i'd always enjoyed art yeah that i was like yeah i got no more time for this once i've finished my gcse like pack it packing this in uh and to be honest from then until i started doing pixel art which probably was early university um i didn't really do any art um and then i had briefly got back into watercolors for a while at some point Mm. and then that didn't stick so mostly these days if i do anything artistic it's um pixel art based uh, mm-hmm. yeah i uh i yeah i i struggle to make my pixel art drawings look um like they have depth uh mm-hmm. and that's what i'm trying to improve on with this course is like making yeah make, making making the colors choosing the choosing the right palette and making the colors stand out and like getting shadows right with pixel art something i really struggle with it's funny you mentioned like doing gcse art ruining ruining it for you i have a friend who studied uh english literature university and she's like she's like read all the time she loved reading and then i speak to her now we're still pretty good friends and she's like oh i don't read anymore <laughs> it's completely <laughs> ruined for me and i'm like oh no that's such a shame why it's just, just like oh i had we just had to do it all the time for uni and now it just i just it just sucks all the fun out of it for me i was like oh that's such that's such a shame there's something wrong there like yeah with the, the oh, go on Oh, no, no, that's all I had to say, and I trailed off. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I think it brings us back round on quite a nice loop to the fact that it's hard to teach. Yeah. And that I, so many subjects at school I started out very interested in and got completely turned off for them because the lessons for them were boring because the person teaching them was A not really interesting <laughs> like if they had a passion for the subject yeah. then it wasn't for the 13 year old version of the subject <laughs> yeah. like that th- they weren't interested in teaching that stuff yeah. and they had to manage a class of kids who weren't grateful for learning yeah. uh which is just like a terrible terrible combo yeah. of a vicious cycle that makes it worse for everyone yeah um so there are so many things that at the start of secondary school I was just like so excited to learn about. Yeah. And by the time I got out of the end of secondary school, it's was like, oh, thank God that's all over. <laughs> like every time I got the opportunity to drop a subject, it was just a no brainer. Yeah. It's like, yep, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> um, that's, I, I, uh, I hear that. That's, that's like my experience with French. I was like, I remember starting the day before starting French, my first French lesson at school. I was like so excited. This is so cool. We're going to learn another language. And I remember going into that class and everyone, I think everyone else all like like had lived in the area for years and had like brothers and like new new people who had already gone through school and they were telling me like what are you why are you excited about learning French for it's like going to be the worst <laughs> subject ever and I could not I could not understand and then <laughs> I went into the classroom and just had that I just had everything that everyone had told me about it proven to me <laughs> in one horrific hour oh dear but yeah and i and it completely turned me off learning languages until now and i'm I quite enjoy learning lithuanian um 
like really enjoying it. But yeah, it's such a shame because and I'm not sure if that's the teacher's fault. I'm always wary about blaming the teacher because teaching is a really hard job. But yeah, oh god, it put me off French, put <laughs> me off languages in general completely. I was like, oh, is this what it's like? I don't want to do this. I'm so glad they didn't yeah. teach game development in school <laughs> because yeah, oh. yeah. I think in a lot of ways, programming is one of the only things I've ever gone through without ever getting phased. Um, like, and and that's not to say that all my programming learning experiences have been good. Like, we did the same course at university, yeah. and it would be a really long shot to say it was an inspiring way to learn computer science. <laughs> um, oh yeah, I yeah, there were definitely certain certain things in that course that were a bit really dry. However, there were certain <laughs> things that weren't. Um, they, yeah, it was a balance, but yeah, and I think that they're like. The the overriding thing is that computer science in of itself is exciting. Yeah. So like <laughs> any anything boring is is just gonna be tempering what's already an exciting subject to someone who is inspired by yeah. that. Yeah. You're just gonna do um, less of that specific thing and more of a thing that you are interested in within that scope, right? And then yeah. you're gonna turn out to be a good programmer if you enjoy it anyway. So yep. yeah. But I totally can imagine that there were people on our course who by the end of three years of computer science they were like shit that's not oh. it's not what i want for my life dude there were people um, who after the first two weeks decided that do you remember <laughs> yeah. they switched they switched course like that <laughs> like oh god is this what it is oh no i remember sitting in a i remember sitting in the lab like the computer science lab i guess you call it a lab it's just a room full of computers and we were doing it was like i think we were doing some c programming um, but no, I know it wasn't C. It was Java. Sorry, I think that was part of the problem. We were doing Java anyway, not to bash Java too much. Uh, <laughs> and then we were learning how to compile like Java programs, compile inverted commas on the command line, like using Java C. <laughs> I heard somebody like in the in the next row say, "This is stupid. I could do this in Microsoft Excel." And I was, <laughs> and I had already been learning how to program for a couple of years beforehand, and I was like, "Oh, oh God." <laughs> oh, oh no but not to shit on microsoft excel too much because i i know i i have friends who uh who who really enjoy who got into programming through learning how to program microsoft excel and and, and g sheets i have one friend in particular who's just like she's the queen of g sheets i think you could argue excel is a live programming environment in that sense that it's very it's very abstract in comparison to a lot of programming you haven't got the same constructs mm. but you can set up a lot of the same relationships and rules and like loops if you frame them the right way yeah yeah um and i wonder whether like in our lifetimes whether we'll ever see full blown programming expression in an environment like that or if we do see visual programming tools how much they'll end up looking like excel yeah um i think there's, there's already in unreal engine there's blueprints um and i think that's that's you can use those as a non-technical person quite heavily and it's very abstract and you can't you can't do the things you could do with like a scripting language but i i think for games that's the balance people have found but outside yeah. of that and there's also like 
programs I've seen for constructing shaders for shader programs. Mm-hmm. There's like Shader Forge yeah. for Unreal, and there's something similar for Unity, um, where you can effectively pipeline things into each other on like on a flowchart and construct um, and construct shader programs and, and and shader effects. So that stuff does exist, but for very specific niches, I guess. Yeah. Yep. And of course, there's um, Puzzle Script. <laughs> yeah. Talking about DSLs, um, writing the Solitaire game, I thought, how difficult would it be? Or how... I, I was just wondering about making a puzzle script-like engine for cards instead of puzzles. Um, and how much and how much you could do. If you, if you could say, like, a card has, like, two values, uh, a number, like, two sets of state, and that's a number and a, and a suit... Or it could be anything you could like decide as the program what mm-hmm. you wanted, and then you could stack. And you, I'm, I'm wondering like how I was wondering like what things you would have to set up in that little engine to to enable you to make any card game that you would want to make um, mm-hmm. with cards like that. Like you need to enable stacking, like maybe a hand, um, a, a deck, like shuffling a deck in certain yeah, ways. Probably won't. Yeah, piles, piles. Yeah, not the bad kind though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, on that note. Yeah. <laughs> um anything else going on in the world? We still haven't really figured out how we wrap these up. It's just been a general <laughs> repetition of the intro. Yeah. <laughs> how how have you been doing and what's been going on? Yeah. But um I've been uh learning yeah, I've been learning more about OpenGL. Um and we're doing a bit of reading on Vulkan as well. Because I thought, is it like Vulkan's like an emerging graphics technology that is, more, is mainly focused on improving um, like highly optimized graphics pipelines. And boy, that's complicated. But also just l- lamenting slightly that you can't write portable graphics code for anything. <laughs> because, because, like Apple have their own like graphics API metal, like for and are deprecating OpenGL soon. You've got um, you know you've got Android who you you, you can you can write OpenGL for, but it looks like you will support Vulkan as well, and and no one seems to know when or where OpenGL will be deprecated next. I don't know. I mean, I mean, looking at the, it's just it's a very there doesn't seem to be a solution to anything anywhere concretely. And it's, uh, yeah. But, but, to what is, oh, go on. No, sorry, carry on. I, I was, again, I finished what I was saying and was trailing off. <laughs> um, so what, because I never really looked into <clears throat> any of this above and beyond yeah. OpenGL. What do engines like Unity do for their export? Do they just have, like, a target for each platform that has its own graphics layer in that target uh, or is there something they compile to that can hit all of those together um i don't know but they target all those different platforms so you when you're yeah. when you're in unity you can target specifically like a version of opengl you can target vulcan and you can target metal um if you're doing ios um yep. and they have implementations of their graphics pr- pipelines in all three of those things yeah okay um, that's yeah, yeah i think that's and it, that's what I yeah. actually wanted to ask, and just didn't quite figure out how to. But but yeah, it's see, it's, it's it's insane that you have to that you have to do that though, and it kind of is 
it, it, it annoys me a little bit because it's like, if you want to make something portable in a, in a sane amount of time, you have to use an engine. Um, yeah. and that, and upsets me a little bit because <laughs> I don't like to, I don't like to tie myself down to like unity really, or default or something like that. I had sort of, a, maybe it's just me being like a, hang on, there's a, there's a plane flying overhead. Oh no, it's gone now. <laughs> maybe it's me just being like, oh, I want to make it myself, but I don't know. Um, yeah, the state, the state of, of like not being able to write graphics code portably is not, is not very nice. <laughs> so that's what I mean. Another reason, another reason I guess I enjoy writing for the web. Yeah. It's because as soon as you've got your renderer working with WebGL, you know that anywhere a browser runs with the modern version, yeah. that code is going to run. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's on a mobile device or in an Electron app yeah. or in a regular browser. Um, the interesting thing I, I think I've been meaning to look up is like if because iOS is deprecating OpenGL whether web how WebGL will run on iOS or whether there'll be some kind of intermediary layer like you'll be if you'll be you'll be obviously be able to support hopefully be able to support WebGL in Safari but what will that yeah. what will that be I don't know it's uh yeah that kind of just occurred yeah. to me but <laughs> I'm not sure like whether OpenGL ES is like a subset of OpenGL that is actually running under OpenGL or whether the whole thing is a lighter weight embedded version of WebGL. Um, I would have thought it was a whole... Because I, 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 this is definitely not my expertise, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure OpenGL ES is OpenGL for embedded systems. Yeah. It's a lighter weight version of OpenGL. Yeah. So if Apple deprecate OpenGL, I'm pretty sure they could still have an OpenGL ES system because it's not the same thing. I uh, guess so. Or whether they just translate, draw whether they just translate, uh, draw calls to to metal. Um, but I, yeah, I'm not sure how that would work because it works completely differently. I think the shift yeah. from OpenGL is that what you would like to do as a graphics programmer is set up all of your all of your graphics pipelines first, so that you don't have to worry about m- using the CPU to shift data around every frame. And that's what OpenGL yeah. does, and that makes it slow to do certain things. And that's what Vulkan and Metal are trying to fix. So I'm not sure. I guess it would. I guess Apple would have to support a version of OpenGL. I wonder as well. I I wonder whether I, w- I definitely possible that OpenGLS, OpenGL ES in that sense is implemented as part of the browser's rendering engine or the other part of the browser's stack rather than the OS yeah. stack. In which case, it wouldn't matter what Apple had deprecated. Um, if yeah. WebKit is where the OpenGL ES layer is, then. Be fine. I don't know, but it is hardware accelerated graphics, right? So if it's if you have rendering running in the browser that's hardware accelerated, it's going to have to talk to the graphics card, and that means it's going to have yeah. to use a rendering API, and that API is going to have to be either OpenGL, Vulkan, or Metal. Uh, so, and if it was like emulating yeah, OpenGL in software, then there would be no point, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then you then you just make like a drawer. Then you just basically just be using Canvas. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, this is going into realms where neither yeah. of us know very much about. <laughs> this is Joe and Dan talking out their ass for yeah. 10 minutes about stuff they don't understand. Maybe our um, audience numbers will increase because uh, being wrong on the internet gives you more attention oh, yeah. than being right. So <laughs> maybe, this, maybe this is good for the podcast. <laughs> If you anyway, if you want to uh, oh. prove us wrong, um, oh, to talk. Sorry, sidetrack a little bit. One of my one of my friends who listens to the podcast says we should have we should set up a um, an email address to so that people can send us questions. Um, so I think next episode we'll probably have we'll probably announce uh, an email address where people can email questions to, and we'll answer them Sounds- on the show. Does that sound good to you? Can we just use the email address? We can we just announce it now? Okay, no, just go, use you, the one. All right, go for it. Yep. What, what is? It? Uh, although, well, yeah. Okay, so the email address is gameloopodcast@gmail.com, all one word. Yep. Um, but it might not be that forever because yeah. <laughs> we're probably changing the name of the podcast. But that's a whole other. Oh god, we don't want to know <laughs> it. Kind of work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we find so. out Game Loop Podcast has been a podcast for a while. Uh, like uh, in a, in a different language, <laughs> a long, a lot longer than we have been making Game Loop podcast for. So we're probably yeah, we're going to have to change our name. <laughs> on the absolutely tiny off chance that the Italian guys from Game Loop podcast are listening to this, we're very sorry. Yeah, we didn't mean to take your name. <laughs> we don't quite know how we missed it when we pick the name and register the domain but we did so we're gonna swap it so double points if you email us a better name oh definitely yeah yeah we spent a long time trying to think of a name and we kind of settled on this so if you can think of a name that we're excited about that's an achievement (laughs) sounds good that's good cool well that is nice a long one compared to usual was it yeah wow yeah 51 minutes well (laughs) <laughs> I hope hopefully you hopefully uh, it probably won't be a 51 minutes for anyone listening to us talk about it but yeah um <laughs> i hope you've enjoyed every minute you'll be able to figure out exactly how much we cut yeah. by what the timestamp is right now but... <laughs> <laughs> all right then shall we cool. say goodbye okie dokie say goodbye see you next week see you next week bye bye